Hey everybody, it is Tim. Welcome to episode three of the Honor Roll. I am a couple weeks later uh, than I did, I did the last one, but that's what happens. A little busy. Uh, I just got done with the run, so I'm kind of kind of winded here. So uh, bear with me. Um, the Honor Roll here. Let's let's talk about what this is. Just a refresher, a recap, because it has been a couple weeks. This is where I watch usually five movies, and then I decide which ones go on my Honor Roll. These are movies throughout the year that I just, I really like, and I think have a chance to make my top 10 at the end of the year. I started this a couple episodes ago. I'm going to keep it going and see where it goes, see what ends up on my final list. We're going to get into five movies today, five horror movies. Well, four more horror movies, one action movie, because I like to throw in some action movies every once in a while. Uh, but first, I want to, I know I normally do the spiel here, but I want to, Louisiana has been hit. Well, a lot of places have been hit pretty hard by Hurricane Ida, and I am a big-time animal lover. I've had dogs my whole life, and every time I go down there, I've been down to New Orleans a couple times, I see there are a lot of animals, dogs, cats, kind of out and about on the street. So I would urge um, anybody, if you have the means, I don't like telling people what to do with their money or like guilting people into doing things, but I threw a couple bucks to like the Louisiana SPCA. There are humane shelters. I if maybe if you have have the spare change lying around and you are willing to part with some of it, maybe um, maybe do so and maybe donate to one of those charities. The sucky thing is you have to like Google charities now to see if they're any good, but maybe put in the extra work there too. Um, but yeah, I normally start off with like the whole Patreon spiel, uh, but now I'll do that. Hey, if you got any more extra money lying around, give to our Patreon, patreon.com backslash Midwest Podnet. Um, you can get access to all sorts of things. Bonus episodes a couple days early and our discord. And honestly, you can donate for a dollar a month if you want, or you can just do a one-time donation. And uh, it's even if it's just, you, if you like what you do and you want to throw a couple extra bucks our way for things like huh, renting movies, watching movies or football season coming up. All right. I need some extra, extra, extra scratch to bet against the lions. So, uh, Hey, throw a couple bucks by the way. I'm joking, by the way. Give to the give to the charities I mentioned first. All right, let's talk about some horror movies. First up, we have Demonic. Dino- Demonic is by my boy Neil Blomkamp. He is back. It's been a few years. I think it's been seven years now since we've heard from old Neil. Neil, of course, did District Nine and uh, Cheppy. Demonic is about a young woman who unleashes terrifying demons when supernatural forces at the root of a decades-old rift between mother and daughter are ruthlessly revealed. Some alliteration there at the end. Uh, Directed by Neil Blomkamp, written by Neil Blomkamp, starring Carly Pope, Chris William Martin, and Michael J. Rogers. So what's been going on with Blomkamp recently? This is his first year. Oh, yeah, he did Elysium. I forgot about that one. Um, He's been doing shorts, I think, for the last few years with a new studio that he founded. It's called Oats Studio. Um, He made this movie, Demonic, in the middle of a pandemic with limited resources. Uh, What he said was, this is a quote from him in an interview with Variety. He said, this movie is highly, highly unusual in the way that it was made, in the sense that when COVID began, it was clear that many huge Hollywood productions were on pause. He said he was always inspired by paranormal activity. He loved the idea of a filmmaker that just shot something in their house, 
but he never had the opportunity to do it. So he took COVID as the um, kind of lockdown as an opportunity to make it demonic. Um, that's cool. Um, I've always liked the idea of like a filmmaker going back to his roots, maybe a low budget. This The example that always pops into my head, and because we just covered him too, is Sam Raimi doing Drag Me to Hell, going back to a horror movie, even though it was PG-13, going back to a horror movie after the poor experience on Spider-Man three and kind of going back to his roots and kind of getting in touch with that and making what I think is a really, really good horror movie. And, um, probably my second favorite evil dead movie, if you call it that. And I do, uh, the other, the thing though, on the other, on the flip side of this coin is it's this movie demonic is kind of, it's kind of cheap looking at times. I think the budget is a hindrance in this case. It's all very generic and kind of dull looking. Took me out of the movie, honestly, a couple times. One in particular, I think I think it kneecaps. I think the budget kind of kneecaps the movie's best ideas. There's this idea that there's the, like the shadowy military conspiracy within the Catholic Church. And the movie completely skims over it. And I feel like it's due to budget. Like there's one point where it just cuts to a guy who's dead on the ground and you're like, Oh, I wish I would have saw how that happened. Um, he's also, this is him going back. He's touched on this. And I think really every movie Chappie Elysium uh, district nine, how technology kind of our interaction with technology, how it affects us. He's very literal in his storytelling, which is an issue here. It's a big issue for me in Elysium. I didn't think it was that bad in district nine, but it's been a while since I've got that. It's kind of, he does have a feeling of hitting you over the head with his themes and ideas. Um, this is this one right here is kind of a story about a woman reconnecting with her mother through technology. And boy, does he, he hit on that a lot. Um, the animation is kind of cool. I'll give it that. I think if you so I think I would describe this movie as if you threw like the cell and exorcist and fallen uh, the Denzel Washington movie and like Assassin's Creed. And you throw it in a blender and you top it off with um, Linklater's like waking life with the animation style. It sounds that sounds kind of awesome. Um, this movie is not that awesome, though. I'm going to give a little bit. Uh, there's like there's no life to it. There's a ton of exposition. It's a hodgepodge of ideas. Some interesting, some not. Um, here's the thing, though, with this movie. And this is where I'm going to give some advice. Hopefully I catch some uh, future screenwriters. Nothing happens in this movie. I am a. I'm a big fan of movies where things happen. Some people tend to like movies where nothing happens. That's cool. That's not me. I like movies and TV shows where things happen. Now, I feel like a bit of it, a bit of a hypocrite because like one of my favorite shows of all time is Mad Men and nothing happens on Mad Men, but the characters of Mad Men make up for it because they're all psychotic. So that they're all interesting to watch. That's not here. Um, like I said, I believe that things happening in a movie is a good thing. I actually prefer when too many things happen in a movie. That's okay for me. If a movie is overstuffed or a show is overstuffed, at least there are things happening that I might like. I liken this to a football game. I don't want to watch a 0-0 football game. I would like to watch... Maybe not a hundred to a hundred football game, but maybe a nice game in the mid thirties, maybe like 37, 38. I think that's a fun one. Um, whatever the case, things happening in a movie is better than things not happening. This is my hot take for the week. Um, Neil Blomkamp does not seem to agree with me. He thinks that nothing should happen and he makes sure that nothing happens in his movie demonic. It seems to be why they made this movie. I can't figure out any other reason why, um, this is a very dull movie. Things threaten to happen in like the last 15 minutes of the movie, but 
like I said, the budgets get in the way. The budget gets in the way. I can't tell if anything's happening because it's too dark. They skip over the cool stuff that might happen. Um, so I don't know. Maybe something did happen, but I was kind of lost by the end of it. So the question I ask every week is, is this on my honor roll? And the answer to this is absolutely not. No way. But I was happy Neil went back to his roots. I hope he continues to do so. And I'm pulling for old Neil Blomkamp. All right. Next up, we have boss level. And you'll have to excuse me. My pop of the week is actually an energy drink because I am dragging today. This is a bang energy drink. It's a delish strawberry kiss flavor. It says super creatine at the top. So look out. Can be lifting weights here in a second. Um, but it also says potent brain and body, body feel. So this will probably be one of my more intelligent episodes, I think. Boss level. The plot of this one is a retired special special forces officer is trapped in a never-ending time loop on the day of his death. This is directed by Joe Carnahan. So this is another comeback. Um, written by Chris Borey and Eddie Borey, the Borey brothers, I assume. Um, and the screenplay also is by Joe Carnahan, starring Frank Grillo, the great Frank Grillo, Mel Gibson, and Naomi Watts. So what this is, this is another Groundhog Day riff. Um, that movie has had quite the legacy. We're getting like, I think we're getting screenwriters that are have been kind of raised on that and kind of shown it to be a perfect movie. And it is. Um, and we're getting a lot of like Groundhog Day, but this, I'm thinking of stuff like Edge of Tomorrow, Source Code, Palm Springs, on the more horror side of thing, the Happy Death Day movies, which I, bo- I like really like both of them. I, I actually think this is the most similar to Happy Death Day um, due to kind of like the outlandish nature of the deaths in it. Uh, there's some really fun stuff here. I feel like this is, it, it does feel like a video game and it's going for that. Carnahan is going for that. A video game with like different boss battles. Um, and some of the bosses, I mean, Gibson is the boss. Michelle Yeoh is in it. Um, Naomi, Naomi Wads is in it. Grillo, of course. This is a very fun cast of people. Um, Naomi Watts kind of plays to go along with the video game thing is she plays like the princess who is in need of saving kind of like the Zelda type to Frank Grillo's link, which sounds awesome. Um, I guess Gibson Mel would be Ganondorf probably. Is that his name from Zelda? I think it's Ganon, Ganon, Ganondorf full name. I don't know. Uh, Gibson is Ganondorf kind of, kind of rocks actually. I think that kind of works. Um, Joe Carnahan, let's catch up with him. I always liked Joe. He's a, He's been pretty quiet for the last decade. I seen since the gray, really the Liam Neeson movie. Um, I really like smoke and aces. I actually think the a team movie he did was a ton of fun. I like the gray. If I recall correctly, since then he did a movie called stretch with Patrick Wilson that I did not see. Um, he's done a handful of TV episodes. He did the blacklist and uh, state of affairs, which is the NBC show with Catherine Heigl from a few years back. Um, he also was credited uh, with the story for the last bad boys. And I, I very much enjoyed The Last Bad Boys, and I think the script was a major part of that. This is a nice little return to form from him. Um, The movie lives and dies with Frank Grillo, though, and um, he's able to sell. He's able to take you along on the ride. I'm kind of exhausted with this type of movie, but Grillo helps sell a lot of it. Um, You have to believe that this guy can kick ass, and you also have to you have to buy the story of him using this trial and error to form kind of a better relationship with his son. And I think he does both really well in this movie. Um, and Grillo is the type of, he's the type of actor who can do both of those things, kick ass and uh, tell a sweet father son relationship story. And I think he's great here. I think what this movie really gets right though, is the trial and error aspect of video games. I'm a big Mario fan. Mario is my favorite franchise. I play them all. Um, I love that feeling of failing over and over and getting really frustrated and angry and then like nailing it. Um, 
it really makes you think like you worked for something. I'm like some sort of masochist or something. Uh, the This movie captures that feeling and it does it not only with the action, but with the father son, son story as well. So real quick, I thought it might be real fun since uh, we've got, I talked about Frank Grillo. He's kind of playing the Link character here. Um, I love Mario. I love Frank Grillo. Two great tastes that taste great together. Let's make a Mario movie with Frank Grillo. So Mario is played by uh, Frank Grillo. I guess Luigi, I would cast as Scott Adkins. He'd be kind of like his brother, maybe his his well-to-do brother. Uh, Bowser, of course, has to be Ray Winstone. Peach, you know what? I had Amy Smart uh, from the Crank movies, of course, as Peach. But uh, maybe uh, maybe I'll throw Naomi Watts in there. We'll get a reunion from this one. Toad, I have Yeyan Ruyan from aka Mad Dog from The Raid. I think he'd make an awesome Toad. Wario is tough because you've got to get like, I went with an older actor. Uh, I went with Bruce Willis. And the reason I went with Bruce Willis is not because like he's the opposite of Frank Grillo. I guess he's bald. Um, but I want to see, I want to see Bruce like really not give a shit like he has been doing lately in some of these action movies. And I want to see the Photoshop version of him as Wario. So I can't get it out of my head. And then Waluigi, of course, the more athletic athletic of the Luigi brothers. Are they the Luigi brothers? What is the backstory of the Warios and the Waluigi? Someone let me know. Um, I went John, Jean-Claude Van Damme um, as, as Waluigi, kind of the, kind of the opposite, kind of the, uh, the flip side of Scott Atkins. Oh, and then Yoshi. You have to have Yoshi in these movies now. So I went with Blue, the raptor from Jurassic Park. That's the only raptor actor I know. But Blue is a great actor, so you can't, can't go wrong there. Is this on the honor roll? Is boss level on the honor roll? I was on the fence for a little bit, actually, after I watched it. But then I started to think about it a little more. I Like I said, I'm kind of exhausted with this type of movie, this Groundhog Day, but this type of movie. But... I'm going to go yes on this one. The pacing is great. The action is good. The side characters are a ton of fun. The actors are a ton of fun, actors and actresses. Um, And this is a nice showcase for the always excellent Frank Grillo. So yes, I'm going to put boss level on the honor roll. All right, next up we have Howling Village. After her brother goes missing, a young psychologist visits an infamous haunted and cursed location known as Howling Village to investigate his disappearance and uncover her family's dark history. This is by Takashi Shimuzu. He did the Grudge movies, the original Juan, the Grudge movies, uh, both of them. Um, he also did the American versions uh, of the Grudge 1 and 2. He also directed Marabito, which is another movie that's kind of inspired by an urban legend and involving technology. Um, this stars Daisuke Osaka, or written by Daisuke Osaka, also written by Shimuzu. Um, and I'm sorry, I'm not even going to bother with the pronunciation of the stars because... Yeah, let's do it. Ayaki Miyoshi, Ryota Bando. This is the one I didn't want to do. Siyoshi Furukawa. I think I didn't, I don't think I did that bad on that one, honestly. This is based on a real life legend and I'm going to uh, read off this real life legend because I thought it was kind of interesting. I found it on the internet. I forgot to source it. Uh-oh. Uh, my professors, my college professors will be very disappointed in me. I'm sure they're listening. The entire Inunaki region in Fuku- Fukuoka... I just wanted to do the pronunciations, honestly. I just wanted to screw them all up to piss some people off, I'm sure. It's said to be one of the most haunted in all of Japan. A young man was murdered in the old Inunaki tunnel. It's said that you'll hear howling and screaming in woods of Inunaki Ridge and Inunaki Village. The most fearsome of all is said to exist outside the Japanese constitution and thus doesn't obey their laws. But there's one big question hanging over Inunaki Village. Does it even exist? 
The legend of Inunaki Village goes as follows. You must take a small road past old Inunaki Tunnel. I can't believe how many times I have to pronounce that to find the village. It's small and easy to miss. So most people don't ever find it. If you follow that to the entrance of the village, you'll find a sign that states the Japanese constitution is not in effect past here. I've been to some of these places in, uh, and uh, old Northern Michigan um, and uh, some, some other places through like Illinois, Indiana. I've been to some off the beaten past states where I can see a sign like this hanging in America, by the way. Um, past that, you'll see an old broken down sedan, the remains of a couple who were unfortunate enough to enter the village and never return. If you're brave enough to enter yourself, it's said the village is full of traps and the villagers themselves will attack you with hatchets and sickles. Not good. Not good. There's no phone service either. So you'll be completely on your own. That's that's pretty uh, convenient for a horror movie, too. Um, the, the village is said to have been isolated from the outside world since the Edo period. And because of that, the government treats them as a special reservation. If you're fool enough, foolish enough to go in there, you are entirely on your own. No one has entered who has entered has ever escaped alive. So that's what this movie is based on. This movie feels like a throwback in a lot of ways. This will feel all feel very familiar to people who have watched even a little bit of Japanese horror. The opening title even throws like a throwback. I love when the opening title goes straight down the middle with the title of the movie. The tropes are pretty prevalent throughout. You have the presence of an Anrio which are like vengeful spirits seeking retribution for being wronged. Water is also a big thing, kind of like J-Horror, A-Horror. Um, a lot of ghosts are water-based, and a lot of that is due to, I think, the location of the country. And you get a couple of scenes in this movie where water plays a big role. The threat of technology, of course, looms throughout. One of the play- scary places in this is a phone booth. Um, we talked a little bit about in the legend, your phone doesn't work out there. Um, I think there's some stringy haired uh, women running around as well. They may be men. I don't know. Um, this is all pretty creepy. Uh, Shimuzu knows how to, he's got a handle on how to creep you. He's been doing it for a while. There's a great kind of grudgy. He loves to shoot people coming up from sheets, like ghosts coming up through sheets. And uh, that was a great scare there. There's some good scares in this. It's much another trademark of his movies though, is it gets confusing the more it goes along. Uh, those Juan movies are, are very hard to, handle for me i they're very hard for me to get my bearings during because they always jump around in the timeline a lot it lost me the second half it turns into more of an investigation um into the mystery surrounding the village it does some neat things with the urban legend that i talked about it digs into and focuses on the clash between like capitalism and the old ways and um and the new ways and old ways and that's another big thing in Japanese horror. So is this on the honor roll? No, I don't think I can see this one making my top 10. I would put this on the liked with reservations pile. Um, it's a, it's a fun watch. It's, Oh, I, I should mention the, this one in demonic I rented. These were rentals and then boss level was on Hulu. So you can check those out there, but yeah, no to this one on the honor roll. All right, had another drink of bang, and I'm back here to talk about Hawk and Rev Vampire Slayers. Philip Hawk Hawkins doesn't just dream about killing vampires. He eats, sleeps, drinks, and freaking breathes it. After getting kicked out of the army for staking a fellow soldier with a blunt two-by-four, Hawk almost dies of boredom, working as a night security guard in his hometown of Santa Muerte, California, USA. Just when it looks like all Hawk's options in life have expired, filthy blood-sucking vampires appear, and of course... Nobody freaking believes him. That is taken directly from IMDb. I did not write that. Uh, this is directed by Ryan Barton Grimley, written by Ryan Barton Grimley, starring Ryan Barton Grimley, Ari Schneider, and Jana Savage. Um, so RBG here is a master of all trades. I am always, I watched this on Amazon Prime. 
And I am always looking for a good low budget comedy horror movie. Stuff like Tucker and Dale, obviously, that's one of my favorites. But I'm even thinking of fun, smaller stuff like Jack Brooks' Monster Slayer from back in the day. I, I mean, it's, maybe it's like the Bruce Campbell Evil Dead fan in me. Um, he's not in that, but you know what I mean. Uh, this is more in that vein, more in the like the Jack Brooks, uh, My Name is Bruce type movies than some of like those great horror comedies. Comedy is very subjective, which is like basically my way of saying I still watch like every Adam Sandler movie that comes out on Netflix. Last month, I was watching uh, White Chicks on uh, TV and I was laughing my ass off. So there you go. There's there's my so I like to laugh at things. Um, this is very this movie itself is very crass and crude and silly, and it's very much meant to be. Um, Burton Grimley, as you see, did it all here. Um, this is a very much a product of him. He wrote, directed and starred. Um it's kind of an oddball. It's trying to be an oddball buddy copy. It feels very Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, Hot Rod, stuff like that. It also also references a lot of 80s horror and action kind of explicitly. Things like Rambo, Lost Boys, Karate Kid, those are all referenced here. In an interview I read, the uh, Barton Gurnley talks about some of his influences being stuff like the Upright Citizens Brigade, the Groundlings, um, Del Close, Sketchwriter. You can see, especially that UCB kind of silliness influence here. Um, he moved from, he's kind of an interesting story. He moved from Zimbabwe to Southern California back in the eighties with his family. So that's also where that upright citizens brigade kind of influence come from because they are based out of there. Um, there's a big improv feel to the movie for better or for worse improv for me, improv comedy doesn't always land. I know there are people that are big fans of it. There are people that hate it. I'm more in the middle. I'm more in the middle on everything sometimes. So, um, but I, I like some of it, but some of it really doesn't land for me. And some of it does. I've seen this described as a beer and pizza type movie, which is a term I've um, seen thrown around to kind of describe a silly horror movie. I'm not a big beer and pizza guy, actually. I don't like the combination. I used to tailgate all the time back in the day for like football games. And we would have this a very interesting combination here. I'm going to throw it out next time you have both of these things. We would make spaghetti for tailgate because we like to mix it up. We, you don't just like to make ribs and stuff. We had spaghetti, a little bit of meat sauce on there too. And you have a nice little Keystone Light to go along with it. Hey, don't knock it till you try it. Spaghetti and Keystone Light. Here's the thing about Keystone Light anyway. If you've had enough of them, they kind of taste like apple juice to me. And so you're really just having spaghetti and apple juice, it seems like. And you're, you're having a few beers, if that's your thing. Um, He did an interview with the director... RBG did an interview with Dark Universe, the website, not the, not of course the classic Universal offshoot. Um, he said, "I felt like everybody wanted to make really serious stuff. Everybody wanted to watch really serious stuff, and I would go on every streaming platform to try and just relax and have laugh and have a good time, and there was just nothing. I was just like, this is ridiculous. So he made this movie. Um, this reminds me of something that like a dude on or a dude or lady would mention, like." would like champion on a message board back in the like mid to early aughts or early to mid aughts. And like, there would be like one dude I'm thinking of like some guy, some like early review on like ain't it cool news or like Chud or uh, like, um, what was the other one? Like Joe blow or something who would just be like, Hey, I saw this movie at a festival and this is a cult classic in the making. And they would just talk about it for months because they had seen it. Um, and they would just bring it up every chance they could. It feels like that type of movie. Um, Is this on the honor roll for me? No, I will say this for it though. I was in a pretty crappy mood when I watched this and I was in a much better mood after I watched it. I had a couple laughs. I enjoyed it. 
and maybe that's all that matters. So is this on the honor roll? No, but I had I had fun with it. All right, the bang is fully kicking in here, and we're going to talk about St. Maud, baby. A pious nurse who becomes dangerously obsessed with saving the soul of her dying patient. That's it. That's the only plot description on IMDb. There you go. Directed, Written and directed by Rose Glass, starring Morphid Clark. No way. No way. This is the hardest pronunciation I've done. I'm sure I'm going to nail it. Kaelhoffen. Kaelhoffen. Done. <laughs> Whoa. <coughs> Excuse me. Maybe cough. I was so bad. And Jennifer L., uh, this is another A24 movie. Uh-oh. I've said it before. A24 horror movies are not always my thing. I know they are a lot of people's thing, and that's perfectly fine. I even like some of them. I think they usually have more interesting ideas that people get from them that I don't because I'm usually kind of bored during them. But I like that they exist because then I can read all of the people that really like them uh, talk about all of the interesting things they found in these movies. So there you go. Um, maybe not for me, but for some other people. Um, this was the only movie that I mentioned. Oh yeah. I was doing this. I was a couple months, uh, a couple weeks ago now on the, um, in the first episode of this, I was talking about movies that I wanted to catch up on. And this is the only, like I blanked on every movie that I possibly could except for this one. So like St. Maud, the movie about the pious nurse who becomes dangerously obsessed with saving the soul of her dying patient. That's the only one apparently I wanted to catch up on. Uh, I guess that's the, uh, the uh, Catholic school coming out of me here. Um, fail to prepare, prepare to fail, I guess, as the saying goes. This, I guess, I mean, this might be like elevated horror. I think this is what um, my boy RBG was talking about when he was talking about Hawk and Rev making that like elevated horror just being all the rage lately. I don't know. It just seems like pretty standard British horror, spiritual horror for me. I guess we'd call it elevated horror though. Why the, why the hell not? Um, it's just, yeah, I think this is more spiritual horror for just more the more secular times we live in, whatever. Um, along those lines though, I do have to give credit to the poster people. I wanted to bring this up because on the pull quotes, there is an amazing one here. They used the following a mesmerizing horror masterpiece, good, an unholy terror, that's a nice one, and then the one that stuck out for me, though, was, quote, a religious experience from IndieWire. So this stuck out to me because of that IndieWire tag. I assume this was David Elric, who I like, the reviewer for uh, IndieWire, I like him quite a bit. So I had to find this because a religious experience is quite the pull quote to put on a poster. So here's the exact quote that they took from this a slender but unholy cross between First Reform and The Exorcist, Rose Gloss taut and trembling St. Maud transmutes a young, is it Maud? Transmutes a young woman's spiritual crisis into a refined story of body horror that genre fans might feel like they're having a religious experience. So shout out to the people doing the pull quotes for A24 because... That is not what he was saying at all, uh, but awesome work there. This is a very well-made movie on a technical level. The main performance is strong. It does stick with you. I've been thinking about it quite a bit. There are two main performances here. Morphe Clark as Maud and Jennifer L. as the modern dancer um, dying of cancer. Uh, they're both fantastic. And the movie really comes alive, alive during those scenes, those scenes that they share. I also think this is a very uh, technically well-made movie. 
Um, oh, I mentioned that. Uh, there are a couple of phenomenal scenes here in the middle. There's one where both women feel God's presence and they start like shaking or something's presence. They start like shaking and it plays out kind of like a, like a very sexual experience for them. And uh, it's kind of an amazing scene. And there's another scene later in the movie during the middle, which is honestly where it started. The movie started to lose me um, where a character levitates and fireworks shoot off in the background. And the shot is just breathtaking. It's one of those great a 24 trailer shots that they use so well that hooks me every time. And I go, I gotta watch this. Um, it approaches all of the happenings in the plot with a very skeptical point of view, I think. And it goes some dark places. It goes some very dark places. Here's the thing. Um, I'm closer to 40 than I am 20. This movie made me realize I watch movies way differently now um, at my age than I did back when I was in my 20s, back when I was in my prime, as they say. Um, even horror movies. When I was in my 20s, I had my whole life ahead of me. I wasn't worried about my own mortality. Uh, well, now I'm like, I'm getting closer to 40 and I can't stop thinking about my own mortality. It sucks. So like when I'm done with a hard day's work, I don't want to crap, crack up in a, like a beer, a bang energy drink, a Pepsi blue, sit down on the couch and watch this movie about this dying atheist, modern dancer dealing with like the oblivion of death and this woman trying to save her soul. Oh God. Um, now, back in my 20s, I watched this shit all day. Uh, that was like my straight up jam. Now I'm just look, looking for movies with like ghosts or werewolves or something because like it's an escape for me. Um, I don't think about werewolves all day. Um, well, I guess I do. Um, anyway, I'm not saying like movies are only for escapism or anything like that. I'm just saying that taste, the older you get, maybe your taste change and that's fine too. Um, it's not always about the quality of piece of art. Sometimes it's just like, all right, what I'm trying to say is I don't want to be challenged anymore if I old age. I can't, I can't put up with this. I can't, I can't, I can't have any movie that's challenging my belief system in any way. Um, yeah. I mean, like this movie is saying like, yeah, religion is a comfort for people. You know, yeah, no shit, man. I don't know. Why do you think some people, many people do it? Um, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I do think it has some interesting things to say about being alone and how like the effects of being alone, how like it affects both main characters in this movie and how that can even lead to delusion. But even that man, like, yeah, I know. I got the news. I know what's going on. I look at the news. I can see people delusion under delusion all the time, but alone and just like Googling stuff all day. I, I mean, I turn on the news and I got some crank rambling about baby eaters or something. I can't deal with this even more. Um, so there you go. There's my rant on basically like, hey, stop putting ideas in your movies. Let me let me just watch them. One more thing on this. I'm begging anybody who wants to, this is more screenwriting, directing advice. And by the way, I should mention I did, this movie is, it's well-made. Um, but I'm begging the makers of some of these A24 movies to just maybe flesh out the plot a little more. I talked about some of those great scenes, but there is like another half of this movie that does not work off at all for me. The portion in the middle just feels like, it really goes off track and St. Maud is kind of, it feels like she's being directed by the screenwriter to make some of the choices. It just feels like, it feels like padding to me. And so many of these movies feel like they just, I've mentioned this before, but they just should have been essays instead of movies. Interesting essays sometimes, but essays nonetheless. And some of the, yeah, some of the choices in the middle, like everything that happens in the middle plot wise just fall arbitrary and just kind of like, okay, I guess, yeah, that's what you have to do in this case, because that's what, what happens in these movies. And I guess we need to make this an hour and 20 minutes long. Um, is this on the honor roll? No, 
Uh, this was a bit of a letdown for me. I was really looking forward to it. Uh, but as you can see, it made me do some soul searching, I guess. Um, I was really looking forward to it. It let me down. Um, if I was doing the show in my 20s, though, this definitely would have made it. Uh, but I am old and lame now. So I will say this. I think this is a very interesting debut movie from Rose Glass. I'm looking forward to doing seeing what she does next. I think she has a ton of talent. Um, I think this seems to, and from what I see, it's got like a 90-something percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, some of the people, David Elric, of course, called it a religious experience. I think there's a hit very well with the audience it aimed for and people that like a 24 horror movies are probably going to love this. I'm just not sure that audience includes me anymore. And I've come to grips with that. All right. That is it for this week. I am off. Uh, We'll see when I get back to this. I'm trying to, I'm going to in between, I'm going to go out. I think I'm going to go whitewater rafting in between the recordings of these next. So we'll see if I'm even around uh, for the next one. It could be gone. It could be off into the nether realm. Um, but I will be back. I think I'm going to try to talk about um, the new James Wan movie that's coming out, Malignant, that's hitting HBO Max. Throw in a couple other movies. I'm not really sure what else yet right now. I'll take a look at the calendar and see what we want. So to recap here, a couple movies I liked. Couple. Uh, so I liked Hawk and Rev. I liked Boss Level. I was iffy, leaning towards negative on St. Maude. I did not like Demonic, um, and I, oh, oh, Howling Village liked with reservations. So, and Boss Level made the honor roll. So we're adding Boss Level to the honor roll because I could see that one making my top 10 at the end of the year. The more I think about it, the more I realize how much fun I had with it. So there you go. We will, I will be back next time. If you want to check out um, other stuff, yeah, patreon.com backslash Midwest Podnet. You can get these a few days earlier if you just want to throw a couple of bucks our way. So thank you very much for listening, everybody. I'll see you next time.